The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that's Jesus, in his words, and they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. I mean, what a setup. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. There are a few crux points, few hinge moments in human history. I don't know what you would look at and say, boy, that's a turning point for all of humanity. Maybe uh, as Americans, we would say, you know, Columbus and, you know, the, the, what his potential discovery of America. Uh, maybe we would say the signing of the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence. I don't know what you would insert into that. I, I want to tell you one crux moment in human history, though. Uh, it was in uh, the year 1517, a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, uh, had some problems with the way religion was practiced in his day, and he went to the cathedral door of the town of Wittenberg, Germany, on October the 31st, uh, and he nailed there on that door what are known as the 95 Theses of Reformation, and began what was known as the Protestant Reformation. Now, I, I know you've maybe never read that. I just, it's a hinge point in human history. If you talk to any historian, they'll tell you that was a, a demarcating line for human history. Uh, but here's, I, I, the reason I'm telling you that story is because of the very first of the 95 issues he had with the way religion was practiced in his day. I'm going to read it to you. It's just a kind of a, a, a poignant quote. He said this, He said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. I'm going to read that to you again. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, I'm not entirely certain that we understand the word repentance. I I think often we think of it as, you know, a one-time act. Or it's maybe the thing you do if you grew up in a religious environment. You know, you got to repent to get God off your back or to get on God's good side. I want to tell you something different about repentance and taps into what Martin Luther is saying. And Martin Luther is just picking up what Jesus told us. That repentance isn't a one-time act to get God off my back. It's the path forward. I like to say it like this. Repentance is a life skill If you are in a relationship with an unrepentant person, it is miserable. If you have a boss who is unrepentant, you hate working for that boss. If you are married to someone and they are unrepentant, it is always difficult. 
If you have a kid and they are unrepentant, it is always a challenge. If you have a neighbor who is unrepentant, it is just a miserable relationship with your neighbor. The reason is that repentance is the ability to change your mind and to change your course. It's the ability to admit that you don't have the full picture. Now, that's why I think it's a life skill. I think everybody needs to figure out how to repent. And not only is it a life skill, but it's required for a follower of Jesus because here's what repentance does. Repentance makes you open. Unrepentance makes you closed. So today, here's what I'm going to ask us to do, and we're going to do this a bit differently. I'm going to ask us to repent together, meaning I'm going to ask us to be open to what God is doing in you. Now, I, I want to suggest to you that 2022 is a crux moment in your history. And I know that if it's going to be a crux moment, a, a hinge point in your history, that what it's going to require of you is that you're open, that you can change your mind and your course, that you can admit that you don't have the full picture, and that you can make some shifts. So what I want to talk to you about today is five heart shifts for a fruitful 2022. Now, I'm not talking about resolutions. I I personally don't think resolutions work uh, simply because usually when we make a resolution, we're just relying on our willpower and willpower works for just a short period of time, but it's ineffective alone to change habitual patterns. And that's what we all want to do. We want to change a pattern. And so I'm going to do it. I I don't know that that works. I'm, I'm not suggesting you make a resolution today. I'm simply saying, could you open yourself to some course corrections? So I want to use this little, uh, this little symbol. You've probably seen this uh, symbol. This is the greater than symbol, mathematics, you know, greater than. That means that on one side of the equation is the thing that is greater than the thing on the other side of the equation. So when we're talking about heart shifts today, we're talking about shifting from a lesser thing, not, not a bad thing, just a lesser thing to a greater thing. Would you be open to that if you could say, well, you know, I, I would love to make some shifts from lesser things in my life to greater things in my life. Would you be willing Would you go down that path? Okay, let me give you the first one, and then we're going to sing a song, and you'll see how we're going to do this today. Here's the first one. If you, had, if you brought the notes when you came in, you can fill this in or write these down. I think these might be helpful to you. Here's the first shift that you and I need to make in 2022 for a more fruitful life. We need to make the shift from God to me. God, God, is a, God is greater than me. So this is about a shift in your focus. So the lesser thing in the equation is me. The greater thing in the equation is God. And so what I'm, I'm suggesting is could we shift the focus in 2022 from me to God? Now, the Bible has a word for this, and the word is sanctification. Can you turn to your neighbor, $10 word, turn to your neighbor and say sanctification. Salvation is when you see for the very first time, your eyes are opened, uh, you understand, you grasp the enormity of what Jesus did for you on the cross to forgive your sins. It's the moment you say, oh my word, my eyes are open. I was blind 
and now I see. Sanctification is when I see that, that God wants all of me. I, I see my life in a different way. And what the word means literally is to be set apart. So that implies a couple of things. You're, you're set apart for a specific purpose and you're chosen. So stay with me here. This means that it's a signal to you about your worth because God set you apart. He thinks you're so valuable. He has a a purpose for your life and he sets your life apart for a specific purpose. And it's a signal about your path. Like you, you have somewhere to go in your life. Now, Matthew 22, Jesus is having this debate with the Pharisees. They're trying to trap Jesus in his words, and they're trying to trick him with a common uh, debate of the day. You know, hey, we're religious people. Should we pay the tax to the Roman oppressors? Should we do this or should we not? And so they use this as an opportunity to trap Jesus. Now, Jesus knows this, and he says to them this phrase that he's introduced into the moral vocabulary vocabulary of humanity. He said, you hypocrite. And if you're ever reading that phrase in the New Testament on the lips of Jesus, what you can insert to help you understand that better is actor, because that's the word he used. He says, you actors, you, you play something, but you don't live something. And so he says, give me the coin. And what he took is he took the coin and stamped on the coin was the image of the Caesar, the the ruler of the Roman Empire. And so Jesus holds the coin up. You know, you kind of picture the scene. Holds the coin up, and he says, Now, hey, guys, whose image is on this coin? And their response is, Well, it's the Caesar. And, And he's asking, in other words, who does this coin belong to? And they rightly answer, and they say Caesar. And so Jesus says, Okay, well, then give to Caesar whatever has his image on it. And what, is, what has Caesar's image on it? A few bucks. Uh, some coins. And then he says something that's staggering. I think we often miss this if you've ever read this story. He says, okay, so if you're going to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, then you need to give to God what is God's. Because here's the implication. He says, because whose image is on you? God's. Now, what is Jesus doing? He's reaching all the way back to the story in Genesis chapter 1 when we're created. And if you go and you read the, the, the words about how you and I are created by God, he says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, what belongs to Caesar? A few coins, because that's what, his Im- what has his image. But you have the image of God, so who do you belong to? So give to God what has his image on it. What has God's image on it? You. So here's the shift in focus. You and I have to move from thinking that I can give God a few pieces of my life. I'll give God some money. I'll give God some time. I'll give God a few thoughts. Two, I'm going to give God all of me. So here's a shift question, then we're going to sing a song. Uh, Do I operate like only pieces of me matter to God? Five heart shifts. Shift number two. Let me shock you just a little bit. If you've grown up like I have, if you've been around here for just a little bit, 
Uh, this is the shift. It's from Jesus. Jesus is greater than Nazarene. Anybody else a Nazarene like I am? Okay. All right. You're like, wait a second. It's not, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Uh, this is about a shift in who I am going to choose to let influence me the most. Now, we're going to shift from my tribe to Jesus' way. And if my tribe is ever in conflict with the way Jesus does things, then I go with Jesus. Now, I, I understand some of you, you're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Those are not, those are not opposites. I'm not suggesting they're opposites. And, and I understand I'm talking to kind of a narrow subset of folks because not everybody in the room grew up like I did. And um, I, I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm using this as an illustration. I think you'll see this in a second because this applies to all of us. Because any tribe... Any tribe, it doesn't matter if it's religious or not religious, it can be political, it can be socioeconomic, any tribe can use God's name to change the goalpost, anybody. Uh, Jesus has this interaction with the Pharisees, He's, they're kind of his favorite punching baggers, they're his conflict, uh, they're, they're always in conflict. And, and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, Jesus, uh, we, we've observed your disciples. And when they come in to the temple, they don't do what we do. You know, when we come into the temple, Jesus, we wash our hands. And there's actually an Old Testament law about being clean and washing. Your hands. And so we wash our hands and we teach our disciples to wash their hands. And, and we've noticed, Jesus, that when your disciples who are doing what you say is best, that we think are wrong, they don't wash their disciples. And so why in the world, Jesus? We've done this for decades. We've done this for generations. Why in the world, Jesus, do your disciples not do what all the rest of us have done for as long as we can remember? And, and then Jesus has something very interesting to say. You can read it later today, all the whole context in Mark chapter 7. This is what he says. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And even goes in that passage, he says, listen, these people, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, these people, they honor me with their lips. In other words, they're, 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 they've got all this God talk that comes off of their mouth and they say all the right words and they use all the right language. I mean, they honor me with their lips, but it's actually that their hearts are far from me. What, what I'm trying to get at here is it's, it's, it's about belonging to Jesus and not just to a tribe. Now, I, I'm not trying to pick on Nazarenes. I, I'm so grateful for my heritage. I, I, if you know my story, my parents were Nazarene missionaries in Malawi, Africa. Um, I was born there. I was a Nazarene in utero. Um, you know, I was in church, the Church of the Nazarene as long as I can remember. I, I met my wife through the Church of the Nazarene. I was educated through the Church of the Nazarene. I met the majority of my close friends through the, I'm, through the Church of the Nazarene. I'm so grateful. I want to die as a, as a member of the Church of the Nazarene, and if that's your heritage, I hope you do the same thing, and you, you take some, you take some good, good sense of pride in that. I, I'm just trying to point out the human tendency to be tribal and to be more influenced by the tribe's concerns than Jesus' concerns. We've got we to keep the main thing the main thing. Do, do you know what I'm saying? 
And, and the goal that we're after is whatever, you know, label of Christian is attached to us, Baptist, Catholic, Nazarene, you know, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. The goal is to follow Jesus. Now, I hope you can see what I'm doing here. I'm just trying to say using Nazarene because that's, you know, where I come from as a stand-in for any tribe because the same could be true for any way we organize ourselves as human beings. I mean, your tribe could be socioeconomic. Like, I, I live at this level, and I associate with people who live at this level, and I will only accept the influence from people at this level. I pastored in a place where uh, there was, in, in the surrounding community, a very, very um, difficult and challenging relationship between labor and management. And if you were blue-collar, you hated people who were white-collar. If you were white-collar, you didn't like people who were blue-collar. And, and uh, you listened to the tribe. Whatever your tribe said to do, you went and you did it. Because your tribe took pattern over everything else. And I watched people who said they followed Jesus, and they would go with what their tribe said. Now, you can do this with politics. I mean, you just insert anything. But the focus, see, we're shifting our focus and we're saying, okay, in 2022, what if I let the words of Jesus be the greatest influence in my life about how I'm to order my life? Wouldn't that be a powerful 2022? So here's the shift question as the the team gets ready to come and sing another song. Here's Here's the question for you to wrestle with. Does my tribe get in the way of me following Jesus? Now, let's go back to Matthew 22. God's image is on you, so that means God doesn't want just your tribe. He wants you. Shift number three. We're moving from something lesser to something greater. The the lesser is obligation. The greater is mission. So this is about a shift in your motive. And the shift here is a move from uh, external motivation to internal motivation from doing what is supposed to be done out here to doing what God has put into my heart. Now, I, I don't know if you think about this. I, 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 don't, I don't know how you process this. But do you realize that God actually cares about your motive? It, it's, it's not that, it's, it's not that, it, well, you, it's that you do something. It's, it's not that. It's that Why do you do the something? Can you answer the question, why is it that I do what I do? If you follow Jesus, if you know God, and and you, as a result of that, don't do some things, do you know why? Do you just do it because you don't want to break the rules? Why? If you don't drink alcohol, well, why? Why? Uh, If you say tattoos or something bad, well, then why? Why? (laughs) And and then on the other side, if if you do do some things because you say you follow Jesus and you know God, why? It's not that you do it, it's why you do it, and God actually cares about why you do it. If you come here every week, I think that's amazing. I think that's a, a powerful discipline to put you in a place where you can hear from God's word and Um, The environment here can help you move forward as a follower of Jesus. Think about being here every Sunday over the course of the year, and and you make 52 course corrections in your life. I mean, that's, that's very powerful, but why do you do it? 
If you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? If you fellowship with other Christians and you're in a class or in a group, why do you do that? Why do you serve people? Why do you do that? If you're the kind of person who's like, you're working a job and you got a side hustle and you're killing yourself to win the side hustle, and, and why do you do that? It's very, very clear when you read the words of Jesus and you watch Jesus' interactions that Jesus is always getting at the heart. And his most frequent criticism is for religious leaders. It's always a pause to me as a as a Christian pastor, to be reminded that Jesus' harshest, harshest, heart, heart, it's the first of the year, harshest criticism, you say that word three times fast, and let me know how you do with that. His harshest criticism was reserved for religious leaders like me. And, and the reason was because he saw what their brand of spirituality created in people. And they were all about being righteous and about having God's favor and belonging. And frankly, those are issues are still of the human heart. We want to be in the right. I don't know if we've ever lived in a day, at least in my lifetime, when people of all stripes are concerned about who is right and who is righteous. I think everybody, unless you're just an avowed, you know, there is no God, wants to have God's favor. Everybody wants to belong. But the way they got at it was you were righteous by your moral performance. Or you earn God's favor by scrupulously keeping the law, the, the religious rules. Or you belonged by hating the right people, your enemies. And, and the Pharisees, they just dripped obligation. Now, the word obligation itself, it literally means to be bound to something. And so... If you're obliged to do something, there is some force outside of you that is driving you. And so you live, if, you're, if you live with obligation as your motive, you live this kind of driven life, always chasing being favored and belonging and being a righteous person and never quite sure that you've gotten it. Now, here's what Jesus said about that. He said that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Let, let, me, let me translate that into this language we're using here. Unless you learn to operate on an entirely different motivational structure, you, you, won't, you, won't, get, you won't get there. Now you might say, well, Scott, are you saying that duty is not good? Well, I'm saying that duty is actually a form of internal motivation. You saw something as important, you let it get into you, and you own it. I'm just, I'm just simply trying, again, we're talking about lesser and greater things here, aren't we? I'm simply telling you that obligation is short-term fuel. It's leaded gas. The reason they made leaded gas is because it stopped the knock in the engine. And then they discovered that as they added that thing that stopped the knock in the engine, that it, over the life of the engine, destroyed the engine. And I'm just trying to tell you, if that's your sum total of motivation is obligation, then over time that's just going to wear down your soul. Find, could you find some different source of motivation? Now here's the antidote. Okay, you ready? The antidote is to live with a sense of mission. Here's how Jesus says it in John chapter 20. His, his disciples have watched him live this 
purpose-filled, mission-oriented life here on a mission from God. Every interaction was out of his mission. And, and this is what he said in John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, guys, you've observed how I've interacted with people that lived with a sense of mission. In that same way, so I am sending you. Can, can you let this sink in for a second? Can you consider that there was no obligation in Jesus, just mission? If that's the case, doesn't that mean that you and I are allowed to be the same? This is the offer of freedom. I don't know if you understand this. Paul wrote this whole letter in the New Testament called the book of Galatians, and he talks to people who've, who've traded in grace and mission and the love of God for obligation. And he basically says to them, listen, it's for freedom that Christ made you free. So stand firm then and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You're not obliged to live by some other voice. <laughs> You could be motivated, your life could be motivated by love. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in one of his other letters. He says, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Now, I just want you to pause and think about your life, especially if you grew up in church. Wouldn't it be powerful if in 2022 you embraced the mission of the love of God as your source of motivation and let go of obligation? Wouldn't that be powerful? The team's going to come and sing again. I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 22, God's image is on you. So God is not after your obligation. God is after you. So here's, here's a shift question for you. Do I have to or do I want to? Do I have to or do I want to? Dallas Willard, one of my mentors from a distance, is with the Lord now. He said one of the things that God wants to do is just to change your wanter so that you want the things that he wants. <laughs> Isn't that great? Do I have to or do I want to? Let's sing this song. Remember, we're moving from something that's lesser to something that's greater. So here's the shift. This might be one of the most powerful shifts you could make this year. Uh, the shift from being learned, I've, I've learned, I'm learned to being a learner. Being a learner is greater than having learned. This is about a shift in attitude. This is the, the shift from, you know, I know that. I did that. I learned that. We had a lesson on that. I read that. I went to that. We did that one time. Two, I'm curious. Tell me more. This, this, here's why I think this is so incredibly powerful. It's the vehicle that moves you from pride to humility. And it's simply adopting the stance, the attitude that I am a learner. Now let me unpack that for you for a second. We throw a word around, around here, around the church. We use this word, disciple. I don't know if you know the etymology of that word. It comes from a Greek word where we get our word mathematics. Mathetes is the word, and it's about a, and it simply means a methodical learner. 
That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. So my, one of my favorite definitions of a disciple is simply someone who is a lifelong learner from Jesus. You know, someone says, are you a Christian? You just say, well, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm learning from Jesus, if that's what you mean. I mean, yeah, I am. I want to be a learner. I want to be open. I want to be humble. Now, if you're a learner, now that begs the question, doesn't it? What is it that you and I are to be learning? Well, let me give it to you. We're to learn how to live and love like Jesus. Here's how Jesus said it. He's describing Luke chapter 6, verse 40. We'll put this on the screen. He's talking to his disciples about this whole process. And he says, listen, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be. Can you say the word out loud if you're at home or you're here in the room? Can you say the word out loud? What is it? Okay, two of you. Um, Say it again out loud. Ready? Like the t- their teacher, the student, when he's fully trained, will be like their, cheated, their teacher. Now notice, this, here's, here's what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying the student will know what their teacher knows. He says, no, the student will be like their teacher. Now you and I are, have been educated in Western education, and there's some powerful benefits to that. But the fundamental thing that we are to take from our educational process is that we know what the teacher knows. In fact, when we, if we were to say this phrase, we would say when a student is fully trained, he will know what his teacher knows. Or she will know what her teacher knows and will get an A in spitting back that information on a test. <laughs> the Eastern way of coming about this is that you will become like the teacher and live like that teacher in the world. This is such a powerful understanding about how we're shaped by what we learn that even if you grew up in, in uh, Western education like um, uh, virtually everyone in this room did, you still have some teachers that you say, man, she was amazing. He was the best teacher I've ever had. I want to be just like him, <laughs> Right? Now, here's what we've done in, in church world at times, is we have made information the end. And so we think that if you know, you know, however many levels of theology or Bible, then you have somehow arrived. And so we've made information the end. But the, the, end, for, the end for Jesus is that you would be like the teacher and you would love like the teacher loves. So loving is the end. So here, let me ask you a question. If you go, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Do you have the same levels of love and patience as Jesus Christ? Okay, if not, then you are a learner like me. <laughs> Welcome, you know, we'll learn this together. Because here's what I've discovered. When, when you posture yourself as the learned, the one who has learned, you can no longer be a learner. You think to yourself, I've got this, and I've, I've done this. I've, I've sat in meetings, closed off, because I, in my own mind, adopted the attitude of the learned, and I said, you know, I, I already know this. Uh, I already did this. Uh, I already learned that lesson. I already was taught that. And, and what that did is it closed me to new realities and approaches. I, I was closed. I couldn't learn because I'd learned and, and my past success traps me in my past perspective. We had a few weeks ago, we had Dr. Tracy Spar here. He did a parenting summit. Tracy, I've, I've been a pastor for a quarter of a century. 
Um, I, I have pastored hundreds, if not thousands of people. I promise you, Tracy's the best dad I have ever met. I know there's some great dads in this room. Uh, but I'm telling you, Tracy is hand, <laughs> just hands above. And I brought, he came here. I said, Tracy, can you come? Because you're the best dad I know. Will you teach parents? And if you, if you miss Tracy's bar, holy cow, uh, that's somebody who knows what he's talking about. And he, he came here, and he, was, he spoke on a Sunday morning, if you remember that. One of my, one of my favorite people. But he said something when he was, you know, he was over in Area 51 and doing a thing for parents. And, and he said, you know, I'm, uh, he's a dentist by trade, and um, he's a pastor at his church. Tracy is in his mid to late 60s, and, and um, he just got his master's degree. He's a, you know, again, he's got a career. He doesn't need education, but he got his master's degree, and now in his mid to late 60s, he is working on his PhD. And you know what? He's, he was telling everybody this. He said, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious, and I just want to be a learner because I know I don't know everything. Listen to me. The best dad I've ever met said, I haven't learned everything. I've still got things to learn. That is the kind of attitude that will change everything for you. You know, I, I'm going to learn. Now, I gotta, I'm going to, I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm going to shear the sheep, okay? Hang with me. For, for a while, Wichita First Church, we've been the learned. We've been the learned it is time for us to be the learners because that's fundamentally what it means to follow Jesus. And when you're the learned, see, you're closed to what we can be because you're trapped in what we have been. And, and all we're doing is we're, we're taking the same heart and, and we're saying, Jesus, could you give us your heart as a, a humble learner? And could we have a new day? And could we have a new era? And could this be Wichita First 2.0? And could this be for the next generation? And this could, be, could this be for our city? Could we reach a 1% of our city? Could we love our city? Could we love our world? Could we do all of that? Well, what it's going to require of you and of me is that we are learners, not the people who, well, I did that once. I did that once. So as the team comes, here's, here's, the, here's the shift question. Remember, Matthew 22, God's image is on you. You belong to God. God is not after your knowledge. God is not impressed by what you and I know. I am all for information. I am all for knowledge. Please understand. God is after you. So here's the shift question. What's my curiosity level? Shift number five might be the hardest shift, but it might pay off with the greatest reward. It's, a, it's understanding that vulnerability is greater than fear. This is about a shift in your relationships in 2022. It's about moving from keeping people at a distance to being close. I have this saying that uh, I, I honestly don't remember where it came from or when I, when I got it or if I came up with it. Maybe somebody else's. I may just have appropriated it. I don't know, but I've said it for a long time just as a pastor. And I think it, it rings true. And it goes like this. So go your relationships, so goes your life. Now, that's, that's fundamentally true, right? If you, if, if you have a good relationship with your neighbor that lives next door to you, when, when there's a dispute about your fence, it goes okay. 
if you don't have a good relationship with your neighbor that lives next door to you and there is a dispute about your fence, it does not go well for you or for them, does it? If you have a good relationship with your coworkers, like work is a lot more pleasurable. If you have a good relationship with your parents, then it is a lot, things are just a lot easier for you. Right? So go your relationships. So goes your life. Now, this is an implication of Jesus' statement about who you and I belong to, how about we're made in the image of God in, in Matthew chapter 22. Um, here's what we believe as Christians. We believe we were made in God's image and that God is a trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a triune, is three persons, one, one person, three persons at the same time. It's this grand mystery that, which it helps me because I think, you know, if I can describe God in complete accuracy with my words and understand God completely, then that's a God I made up, <laughs> frankly. And, and the Trinity says that God is a mystery, but that, that at, at the heart of who God is, there is a relationship. The theologians call this the perichoresis, which is two Greek words that means uh, it's a divine dance at the heart of existence. God is existence. And, and there's relational harmony at God's core. And so here's the implication of that, okay? If you were made in God's image and God in his essence is a relationship is relational, then that means that you were made for people. And your hunger to connect with people isn't an expression of your brokenness. It's an expression of your purpose. What The, the reason that God created you is to connect with other people and to be in relationship with other people. And if you're not having that experience you get this feeling but it's the it's you're not experiencing your designed purpose of connection it's like it's like if you had a ferrari and you never drove it 175 miles per hour right it'd just be something would be wrong with that it'd be missing out on what it was intended for so understand that this hunger that you have you you sense that i sense to be with other people in some way we can't always fully understand. It's part of how you were made in God's image. So I'm not making a statement here when I say, you know, vulnerability is greater than fear. I'm not making a statement saying you need to change your personality because you, maybe you're a quiet person and you don't, you know, you're not boisterous. And so the thought of being vulnerable with people is, is very scary to you. I, I kind of get that as, I, as I've grown older, I'm, I'm less extroverted and I'm more introverted. You know, I want more time to myself. And, and, but, but there's a paradox because at the same time, I find myself needing people more. I want deeper connection, not more connections. And, and, and that, that means if we're made in God's image that you're, you're made to be close to a few people. But here's what this requires of you and me. This requires that you are vulnerable. Now, you can't, I don't know if you know this, you can write the word out because you're going to go, wait a second. You can't spell vulnerable without reveal. All the letters are there for those of you who are going to write that out right now. (laughs) You can't spell vulnerable without reveal. I'm not telling you in 2022 you need to spill your guts to everybody. I'm saying you need to find a few. 
If you don't have a few, you need a few. Even Jesus, in his most dire moments, set an example. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. We'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus was, was revealed what he was feeling. He was revealing his feeling. And he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I, 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 have, a, I have a habit. Uh, it's just the, the American niceness habit. You know, when someone asks you, how are you doing? Fine. When there have been times I'm like, well, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, but I don't think you can handle that right now, so I'm going to tell you I'm fine. (laughs) And I understand, you know, that would create all kinds of weirdness if you just were all going around to everybody. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Thank you for my coffee. I mean, it'd be weird, wouldn't it? But you need to let somebody know that. And if 20, in 2022, you could let somebody into your emotional state and your reality. Now, I, I think the only way to be able to do that is you have to know that you're safe. And, and you, I need you to understand that the message of the gospel, the way the Apostle Paul describes it, he says that you were bought with a price. You were not your own. And he's referencing the price that Jesus paid on the cross with his body for you because of your brokenness, your sin, your inability to connect with God, your inability to connect with other people, the, the way and patterns that you've threaded into the world that create disharmony, all of those reasons Jesus on the cross died for you because he saw you as an object of value because you were made in his image and so you belong to him and so he's not going to throw away something he created just because you messed that up. You were bought with a price. That means the person who created you and knows you the best has already sacrificed for you and has the highest opinion of you. Do you understand that? Do you understand how safe that can make you feel? I understand that that many of you have been through terrible trauma in your life and you're still recovering from it on levels. But do do you hear the word of the gospel that goes down beneath your trauma and says, I got you. The God who made you says, I have you. You are mine. I bought you with a price, my very own body. That, That means you are loved and that means that you are safe. And then if you are loved and you are safe, guess what you can do with another human being? You can reveal something about you. Now the team's going to come. We're going to sing one more song and we're going to pray a, a, very, a prayer from John Wesley that he wrote. It's one of my favorite prayers, the covenant prayer, as we close here in just a minute. But here's the key question. Do you know the safety of the gospel? In here, I want you to think about what your life would be like if, uh, if the focus was only on you in 2022. Just think about your year. My focus in 20 it's going to be me. <laughs> the influence that you're going to allow in your life is only the people from your tribe, however you've defined that. The motive for your life is, is someone else's ought for me. The disposition, the attitude that you're going to thread into the world is, I've learned this already. I already did this lesson. I don't need to be told that again. Thank you. And in your relationships, you're just like, ah, I'll just, another year of keeping people at a distance. No one, no one will accept the me. (laughs) Does that sound like a great year? 
but I want, I want you to think about this. And, and it's, it's fine. These are shifts. So this might take you the full year. You have permission. You don't have to have this solved by February the 1st. God is into the process. If in 2022 your focus is on God, your influence is from Jesus, your motive is the mission and purpose that God has for my life, your attitude is curiosity and learning and your relationships are close, oh, come on. That's a crux moment in the history of your existence. Nothing else is going to do it. You might want to pray. Some folks just kind of came on their own. That's the, if you don't know, that's the, that, that feeling you feel in the rest of the Holy Spirit. We, we understand that God's Spirit's always active, and you might want to pray, and you're welcome to do that. I want us to end praying a prayer of uh, one of, a hero of mine, John Wesley, a follower of Jesus. Beautiful prayer. And I'd like to invite you as we begin 2022 together to pray these words out loud with me. Would you pray these? Lord, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praise for you or criticized for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Lord, receive this act of commitment and hunger. And Lord, if we walk out of the room today and all we've got is the the hunger to want this, we don't know how to do it, you're okay with that. But Lord, put that hunger in us. Lord, make this... uh, Lord, make this a hinge point in each of our histories this year. Make this a hinge point in my life. Make this a hinge point in my family's life. Make this a hinge point in our church's life. We want our focus on you. We want our influence from you. We want to be motivated by your mission. We want to be close to people. Share life with people. We want to have an attitude of openness and learning and humility. Like Jesus, Lord, like that. So receive these these cries of our heart at the beginning of 2022. We, We admit that we need you. And we're just fine with that. So help us, Holy Spirit, to be on and stay on your path. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you bought us with a price. Thank you that you saw us as worth everything, that you emptied heaven for us. Thank you. Now the most we can do is to give you us (laughs) because your image is on us. And so here's us. 
I give you me. Would you say that out loud? I give you me. I pray this in your name. All God's people said.